0: Welcome to the Gutsy Wellness Podcast, where health empowerment meets heartfelt conversations. I'm your host, Dr. Mandy Patterson, functional naturopath and fertility expert. Each episode of the Gutsy Wellness Podcast is a journey through the most pressing health topics of our times, viewed through the lens of functional naturopathy and emotional empowerment. So get ready to get gutsy with me as we hop into today's podcast topic. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the show today. Today we are going to discuss PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome and how hormonal imbalances in the body can impact the menstrual cycle and fertility. The reality of the situation is that PCOS impacts about 1 in 10 women in childbearing age or around 6 to 12% of the population. Based upon my own practice and the women that I help, I suspect this number is actually quite higher. For those that struggle with PCOS, they are also at risk for infertility and cardiovascular and metabolic issues, so it is really important to get to the root cause of it very quickly. In fact, metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes are twice to four times as common in women with PCOS. So absent periods, abnormally heavy periods, acne, hair loss, or hair in unwanted places, infertility, and more are all indicators of potential polycystic ovarian syndrome dynamics. And it is a hormonal disorder based upon a collection of symptoms that affects females of the reproductive age. So what is PCOS? PCOS is a hormonal imbalance where your body produces too many male hormones like testosterone and DHT. The name of this phenomenon is androgen excess, and PCOS is not a disease. In fact, researchers describe it as a diverse disorder with different underlying biological mechanisms. As a naturopath, I simply view it as imbalances in the body that need to be corrected through diet and lifestyle supports. Because it is a disorder per se, that means it does not have a specific etiology or cause. Instead, it's a syndrome that consists of a group of symptoms consistently that happen together. And this varies for everyone with the diagnoses or symptoms. So guidelines for the establishment of PCOS diagnoses were set over two decades ago in an attempt to provide unified PCOS diagnostic criteria, a panel of experts from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and the European Society for Human Reproduction and Embryology met in Rotterdam in 2003 for a consensus workshop to establish guidelines around diagnosing the condition and beginning treatment. So experts devised what would become the Rotterdam criteria for PCOS ultrasound and physical markers. The criteria were widely used to diagnose the condition, but they were based upon expert opinion versus evidence-based treatment guidance. And this is an important caveat here. So double-blind placebo-controlled studies are the gold standard in evidence-based medicine and guide clinical decision-making for population groups. And this piece was largely missing in the criteria used to establish the PCOS diagnoses. So according to the Rotterdam consensus, PCOS can be diagnosed with the presence of at least two of the following three criteria. So the first one is chronic ovulatory dysfunction. The second one is hyperandrogenism or high levels of androgens, which create excess male hormones. And then the third is polycystic ovaries as visualized on imaging. And that's at least eleven, or actually twelve follicles measuring two to nine millimeters in diameter, and/or ovarian volume of at least ten mLs in at least one ovary. I know that's quite complicated and scientific, right? So, chronic ovulatory dysfunction can be confirmed by irregular menstrual cycles, the absence of menstruation, and the absence of ovulation. So. Hyperandrogenism can be diagnosed clinically by the presence of excessive acne, androgenic or alopecia hair loss, hirsutism, which is male pattern excessive hair growth, or chemically by elevated serum levels of total bioavailable or free testosterone or DHEAs. So I know you guys, this gets really kind of complicated, right? But I do want you to understand. These specific criteria actually really do make the diagnosis of PCOS. And unfortunately, there's a lot of women that are actually misdiagnosed. Metabolic symptoms also include in patients with PCOS because of insulin resistance associated with the condition, including high blood sugar numbers, high cholesterol and triglycerides, high blood pressure and excess body weight. The defining symptoms of PCOS include excess androgens and anovulatory eggs, where the egg is not released in the female menstrual cycle. To put it simply, it's more like a description. For example, signs and symptoms are related, but you don't know what the driving factor is until you determine which type of PCOS you're dealing with. So PCOS very likely has multiple factors that play into its expression. For example, genetic and environmental factors have been found to influence the appearance of PCOS in patients. And interestingly, PCOS is not the condition that causes cysts on your ovaries per se. Polycystic ovaries are a potential symptom, but should not be the main reason for the diagnosis. And this is something that I commonly see is misinformation. So other symptoms of a general PCOS diagnosis can include missed or irregular periods, ovaries that have cysts, weight gain, particularly around the abdomen, excess body hair, male pattern baldness or thinning, acne or oily skin, infertility, skin pads in dark or thick patches of skin on the back of the neck or under the armpits or breast. And this is a signal for metabolic issues. So if you have... Some of these symptoms and suspect you might have PCOS. It will be helpful to get a more specific diagnosis of PCOS so you can determine next steps on your healing journey. At this point, I'm sure you're thinking PCOS is so complex and you were right. It is a hormonal disorder with various underlying causes and you can't reverse it with a prescription. I have to say that again. You cannot reverse this with, with the prescription. You need to get to the root cause and get help around that. So it is helpful to get some insight on the balances that exist so you can begin addressing the root cause through diet and lifestyle supports. So now we're going to dive into the different types of PCOS. So insulin resistant PCOS is the most common type affecting up to 70% of women with the syndrome. When you have higher insulin levels than normal, you are insulin resistant and have this type of PCOS. So when your cells become, they kind of become indifferent to insulin's effects, the pancreas produces more insulin until the cells get the message to take up more blood glucose. This is how insulin resistance happens. It is also known as metabolic syndrome or prediabetes. Unfortunately for women, high insulin levels prevent ovulation and it activates the ovaries to produce testosterone leading to an excess of male hormones, also known as excess androgens. So symptoms specific to insulin-resistant PCOS look like the following. Struggling with your weight gain, holding weight around the stomach and the abdomen, struggling with sugar cravings, fatigue, brain fog, and really treatment for insulin-resistant PCOS consists of reversing insulin resistance with diet and exercise and other lifestyle factors. And in my practice, I actually use a lot of continuous glucose monitoring because it can be really helpful to figure out what's going on with the blood sugar levels throughout the day. So let's dive into the next type of PCOS. It's post-pill PCOS. So birth control pills are used to suppress ovulation. When you stop taking the pill, your body may experience what is called post-birth control syndrome. And the result is a whole host of unwanted hormonal imbalances. What should happen is that your ovaries begin to work again and come back online. And you should get a monthly period and resume ovulation. However, when you stop taking oral contraceptives along with post-birth control syndrome, you can experience post-pill PCOS. Contraceptives such as Jeanette, Yasmin, and Yaz are often involved in this type of PCOS due to the type of synthetic progestin used. And when coming off of these pills, your ovaries experience a temporary surge in androgens. So women with post-pill PCOS may not recover from the pill's effects for quite some time and continue to experience suppressed ovulation. So to identify if you have post-pill PCOS, you need to meet three requirements. Number one, the criteria for general PCOS, which rem- reminding you is excess androgens an ovulation or not ovulation. Number two is you do not have insulin resistance. And then number three is symptoms started when you went off of the pill. So treatment for this type of PCOS includes being patient. I know you did not want to hear this. And I know that it's a temporary situ- situation that will reverse itself, but you have to be patient. So plan to prioritize sleep and stress management. It is helpful to work with a holistic practitioner that can look at supplementation as oral contraceptives often deplete many of these essential nutrients. So number two, we're gonna dive into inflammatory PCOS. Inflammatory PCOS is a condition in which chronic inflammation causes the ovaries to overproduce testosterone. Inflammation is a factor in each type of PCOS. The difference is that in inflammatory PCOS, it is the primary factor. In order to determine if you have this condition, you're going to have many of these symptoms. Headaches, joint p- joint pain, unexplained fatigue, skin issues like eczema, and even bowel issues like IBS. In inflammatory PCOS, you're going to often see raised inflammatory markers On your blood work, such as high CRP above five. And in order to treat this type of PCOS, start by reducing inflammation in your body, address food sensitivities, fix any underlying gut problems, and uncover potential histamine intolerances. And treatment should also involve natural anti inflammatory herbs and supplements, usually. So we're on to the next one it's adrenal PCOS. So the fourth type, this occurs often thanks to the abnormal stress response. It only affects about 10% of those with PCOS. And DHEAS, a kind of androgen from the adrenal glands is elevated in this situation. Meanwhile, the other hormones, testosterone and androstenedione, are not elevated. Your adrenal glands are responsible for regulating your body's stress response. In the case of adrenal PCOS, the adrenal gland, not the ovaries, is stimulated to produce androgens. Another factor in adrenal PCOS may be adrenal fatigue. Now, most conventional providers do not like that word, but I would say if you don't wanna necessarily refer to it as adrenal fatigue, it would just be adrenal stress or just in like a lot of stress in your life, right? And so in order to get the diagnosis of of adrenal PCOS, you need to go be tested your DHEAS. So treatment begins with managing stress levels, getting enough sleep and avoiding caffeine. And some other nutrients such as magnesium, zinc, licorice root and adaptogenic herbs will support the treatment of adrenal PCOS. At this point, I know it's a lot, right? So let's dive into a little bit more on what causes PCOS. The primary cause of PCOS is, like we've talked about, hormonal imbalances. And this specifically involves insulin and androgens. So insulin resistance, a condition in which the body fails to respond effectively to insulin, disrupts normal hormonal regulation and triggers the ovaries to produce excessive amounts of androgens. So these predominant male hormones interfere with the ovulation process and result in the formation in some cases, cysts in the ovaries. And the elevated levels of androgens also lead to the characteristic symptoms of PCOS, such as acne and excessive hair growth. It is important to know that genetics do play a role in the development of PCOS. Studies have identified several genes that may contribute to the risk of developing the condition, and these genes are involved in hormone regulation, insulin action, and the production of androgen receptors. So if you have a close family member with PCOS, this does increase the likelihood of developing the condition. So if your mom, your aunt, or sister struggle with this dynamic, you may want to investigate it further for yourself. And in fact, in my own practice, I do genetic testing to look at if someone is going to be more prone to have PCOS endometriosis in some of these conditions. It is important to keep in mind that PCOS didn't actually become a formal diagnosis code until the nineteen nineties. So for older generations, they may not have been given that diagnosis, but they may have struggled with many of these symptoms um, that that we've been discussing. And honestly, this is something to keep in mind in my own situation. My grandma struggled with infertility for years and had many miscarriages. And she never, you know, got to the root cause of what happened or what was causing that. But down the road when I had my first child, I ended up with some pregnancy complications. And started finding out in our unique genetics that we were more predisposed to have early preterm births and miscarriages with our genetic code. So really important things to explore and dive into. So environmental toxins and lifestyle factors also contribute to the development and severity of PCOS. Obesity, a sedentary lifestyle, a poor diet, or a standard American diet can promote insulin resistance and hormonal imbalances. An excess body weight amplifies the production of insulin, aggravating the symptoms of PCOS. Additionally, high stress levels, inadequate sleep, and exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals such as BPAs or plastics can further disrupt hormone regulation and potentially increasing the risk of PCOS. So now we're at the place of, let's talk about what can we do about it, right? I mean, we cannot change our genetics but there's many things that we can do from a nutritional and lifestyle standpoint that can help us improve our situation and help us optimize our our hormones and fertility. So from a testing side of things, this is where functional medicine really shines. So functional medicine testing helps doctors or practitioners holistically evaluate patients with PCOS and using various lab panels aid in assessing the multiple, multiple organ systems that influence and can be affected by PCOS. So a good starting place that I recommend with all of the clients that come to me is getting some basic comprehensive labs from your healthcare provider or an independent lab that does not require a doctor's order. And there's plenty of those out there. So the labs I generally recommend include a CBC with differential, a metabolic profile, lipid testing, full thyroid panel, including TSH blood glucose, including A1C, HSCRP, and an iron panel. So this is a good starting place to evaluate what may be going on with the health of you and shed light on foundational strategies that can be put into place to optimize your health and fertility. And honestly, these labs are comprehensive and helpful to have with anyone struggling with health issues. So let's talk a little bit about serum hormonal testing estrogen, progesterone, testosterone and DHEA can all be measured in serum and some providers prefer assessing hormones via the serum. However, single blood tests cannot provide insight into how hormones fluctuate throughout the menstrual cycle nor do these results help evaluate hormonal metabolism. So let's dive into serum hormonal testing. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA can also be measured in the serum. Some providers prefer assessing hormones via blood. However, single blood tests cannot provide insight into how hormones fluctuate throughout the menstrual cycle, nor do these results help evaluate hormonal metabolism. Measuring sex hormone binding globulin with testosterone helps identify how much testosterone is bound in circulation, rendering it inactive. And in PCOS, sex hormone binding globulin levels are often lower than optimal. So additional hormones are often ordered for patients with suspected PCOS because specific hormonal patterns are commonly seen in these patients. Although hormones are not required for diagnoses, they can help to confirm a PCOS diagnosis clinically. And prolactin is often elevated in patients with PCOS. In healthy women, the ratio between LH and FSH usually lies between 1 and 2. And in women with PCOS, this ratio becomes reversed or flip-flopped and might reach as high as 2 or 3. So that's really something to look out for if you are struggling with fertility and getting your day 3 hormones and checking that out. So, follicular cells of the ovaries produce AMH, or anti-mullerian hormone, which can correspond to a woman's ovarian re- reserve, and I want to emphasize can. It is not the end-all, be-all lab, and fortunately, it's gotten a lot of press lately that it really determines long-term outcomes, and it's just a piece of the puzzle, okay? Given the polycystic nature of PCOS, the level of AMH is too to threefold higher in women with PCOS compared to that in women of childbearing age. That's something to look out for as well. Other testing that I really like is Dutch testing. Dutch comprehensive testing is urine testing. And there's some different panels that you can get to get insight into what's going on with the hormones. And that includes the Dutch Plus and the Dutch Complete. These require several urine and salivary collections over one day to measure estrogen, progesterone, androgens, cortisol, organic acids, and then their breakdown products. And these tests analyze how the body makes and metabolizes reproductive hormones and can provide insight into underlying causes of dysfunctional stress responses and sleep patterns. The Dutch cycle mapping is more comprehensive and advantageous over the other Dutch panels with women that are struggling with PCOS because it follows estrogen and progesterone levels throughout an entire cycle to map out hormonal patterns associated with the various phases of the menstrual cycle. And unlike the single day test, this panel will better evaluate patterns associated with and ovulatory cycles as is typical that we see in PCOS. So let's talk a little bit more about a thyroid panel. So I really love to see a comprehensive thyroid panel as thyroid dysfunction can interfere with the healthy cycling of reproductive hormones. And women with PCOS are more likely to develop subclinical hypothyroidism and autoimmune thyroiditis. And a full thyroid panel, including TSH, Total and free levels of T4 and T3 along with reverse T3 in thyroid antibodies should be ordered at least annually to to screen for thyroid conditions as many times women, like I said, have issues with the thyroid and PCOS. So a cardiometabolic panel. So given the increased risk of cardiovascular issues in PCOS, a comprehensive cardiometabolic panel should include a lipid panel, diabetes, HSCRP, vitamin D, and CMP to screen for elevated cholesterol issues, high blood sugar challenges, and insulin resistance and in kidney and liver disease. Another test that I really like is a comprehensive stool analysis. So dysbiosis has, or gut imbalances, dysbiosis is a really technical term has been associated with insulin resistance and ovarian dysfunction. Therefore, gut function testing and microbiome assessment should be considered with a comprehensive stool analysis as part of a root cause diagnostic evaluation of PCOS. Also, a stool test can be helpful in looking at bacterial and fungal overgrowth and parasitic infections that may need to be addressed and that may be complicating fertility challenges. So food sensitivities, it's another one of my tests that I like, and women with PCOS may have food allergies or food intolerances and sensitivities, and it can be helpful to have this assessed, especially if there are gut issues or notable issues with problematic foods. And women with PCOS do tend to have more inflammation, and inflammation is a driving force in the development of many metabolic problems associated with the condition such as insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So while food sensitivity testing is not an exact science, it can be helpful in getting to the root cause of some of the issues associated with PCOS. So let's talk a little bit about conventional treatment for PCOS versus the functional medicine approach. So conventional medicine commonly relies on pharmaceutical medications to address common health concerns related to PCOS symptomatically. Weight loss is recommended for patients who are overweight. So clomiphene and letrozole are first-line medications for infertility to induce ovulation. And metformin is frequently used as a first-line medication for hyperglycemia or blood sugar issues. Hormonal contraceptives that include oral, dermal patches, or vaginal rings are also recommended for irregular menses in dermatological manifestations such as acne. While the medications we discussed above can be helpful... For the quick resolution of unwanted symptoms, they do not correct the underlying issues associated with PCOS and its clinical manifestations. You will hear me say this time and time again if you listen to this podcast for any length of time. But if you do not get to the root causes of health imbalances, it's almost like you're eating Oreos while you're brushing your teeth. So if you're taking medications to deal with symptoms, discontinuing those medications will result in the return of symptoms as the root cause issues were never dealt with. So functional and naturopathic medicine aims to decrease inflammation, correct insulin resistance, and balance hormones to restore regular ovulation and glucose metabolism through diet, lifestyle modifications, and supplementation. You made it to the end of the episode. Let's keep this Gutsy Wellness Party going with some next steps to empower you along your wellness journey. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find a choose your own adventure list of links that will guide you from where you go next. From fertility and hormone success guides to the Gutsy Wellness Membership to in-depth blog posts and discovery calls, you'll find everything you need to take your next Gutsy step. Until the next episode, have an awesome, empowered day.